HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words and Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Airway, and it's getting warmer out now. It's spring is in the air. We can almost, you can almost taste it. Um, so right now, it's a great time to think about, that, about those outdoor, backyard hobbies like gardening, even if you're living in the city. But why not take it up another notch, as they say, and uh, go for uh, a, a very adventurous and also very cool endeavor called beekeeping. Uh, we have probably like one of the greatest experts on urban <laughs> apiarists, uh, urban apiaries. She's an apiarist. Is that the word for yep. it? All right. You it's Megan it. Pasca. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Kathy. I'm really excited. <laughs> I am really excited about your book, too. It's called The Rooftop Beekeeper, A Scrappy Guide to, to Keeping Urban Honeybees. Uh, just out from Chronicle. And uh, this has been, you know, this is your, this book has just came out, but you've mm-hmm. been beekeeping and writing about it on your blog um, for several years now. Yeah, since around 2006. Um, I was keeping bees in my um, in my neighborhood of Greenpoint um, on our rooftop. And um, it was such an amazing experience. I just felt like I needed to sort of share it. So yeah. I've been blogging about that and other little backyard projects that I've been working on throughout the years. And that was like a very momentous time for beekeeping as well as urban gardening and other things that that you do like chicken raising. Um, But, you know, in 2007, I think, is when, no, was it 2010? Yeah, I mean, 2010 is when. Yeah, 2010 is when it was legalized. Legalized. (laughs) (laughs) So before it was sort of illegal, but. Yeah, it was was pretty illegal, but. but not as illegal as some other things. <laughs> but it's not like, exactly. It's not like a million people were doing it anyway. Yeah, I mean, it was an issue of just, um, you know, keeping kind of a low profile. And, you know, if your mm-hmm. neighbors didn't notice it or didn't seem to have a problem with it, chances are you wouldn't really 
um, you know, have any trouble. And with you the probably law. wouldn't know it's, I mean, technically illegal. And this is this is just in New York City. We're talking about um, in 2010 when they legalized beekeeping, thanks to many efforts of folks like Megan and Just Food. Just Food really instrumental really in pioneered that. that. Absolutely. All right. So your book. So how did how did you decide to start keeping bees in Greenpoint, Brooklyn? Well, um, I moved here from Baltimore where I had a little backyard garden and I had taken a short course in beekeeping while I lived there. And I really wanted to have bees. I just thought that they'd be a really fantastic addition to the garden. Um, but I actually had a, a real fear of bees growing up. I had been stung pretty badly as a, as a child. And like because of that experience, I kind of I, they were in my periphery always. I was always kind of on the lookout for bees when I was outside because I didn't want to get stung again. But I noticed that I hadn't really seen many of them around like I used to when I was a kid. Oh. And so, like, you know, a red flag went up and I started, you know, asking questions about it. And that's when I also realized that colony collapse disorder and all these bee maladies were kind of just starting to come to the forefront mm -hmm. um, and were getting a lot of attention. And so that kind of just... Um, ignited a little fire in me to sort of push forward. I ended up moving to Brooklyn for work, and um, I, I kind of had this crazy idea that maybe at some point I'd be able to find a place with a backyard and, and you know, do a garden and then also have bees. But the planets really sort of aligned for me because the first place that I moved into in Brooklyn had a backyard, and mm -hmm. the landlords built some raised beds back there and let me garden. And um, a couple months into my job, um, in the city, I went to Whole Foods and opened up the first issue of Edible Manhattan. And the first page I opened up to was a spread about people breaking the law to keep bees in the city. And I was like, yes, okay, okay, this is going to happen now. I've got to do it. So I just started, I started attending beekeeping club meetings. Mm -hmm. um, and then I approached my landlords and I was like, you know, I've been really interested in this. I've taken multiple courses in it and I really want to see if we can do this. And they were like, Okay, if you if you know what oh, you're wow. doing, <laughs> if you know what you're doing, then let's let's give it the a try. Stars have aligned. Yeah, I mean, That's I couldn't amazing. have been more fortunate. I had landlords that lived in the building that were really um, kind of adventurous too, and and had a really <laughs> good attitude about all this stuff. So. Um, yeah, so that's how it all started. And, and talk about a way to conquering your, your old demons of the past, you know, being scared of bees. I think everybody is, too. I mean, we saw horrible movies about people dying from bees when yeah. we were kids. My girl was like the common yeah. sort of Macaulay joke. Culkin. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, and especially in the city where it's like insects. No, no, you know, it's 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 just not as common to to get into these kind of hobbies that are... No, so a lot of people, city. I mean, some of my friends that I made when I first moved here were like, you are crazy. Why would you do something like this? It's irresponsible. You're nuts. Just go and move to the country if you want to do these sorts of things. And eventually I did move sort of to the country and start my own farm. But I actually now have a really good comparison to work from raising bees in a more rural or suburban setting versus an urban setting. I've definitely noticed that bees tend to do a lot better here in the city than they do. Oh, really? Yeah. Out in the farm that you're at now in mm -hmm. New Jersey? I've had much better luck 
uh, with bees here huh. than than there. I mean, because it's you know you have them on the roof. It tends to be drier. You don't have lots of pests that try to you know oh. kind of weaken your hive to get in to eat the brood oh. or the honey. So yeah, I mean you have fewer odds stacked up against your bees when they're here in the city. You kind of create a little bubble for right. them to sort of thrive, and it, it it actually it actually works. What about the quality of the honey though? Because I know that we're we're raising bees as honeybees. Um, and in the country, you have lots more f- flora um, to for the honey for the bees to to draw from. And uh, in the city, it's a little bit more limited, right? Um, it's limited, but not quite as limited as you would think. Um, mm-hmm. The parks department over the years has done a really awesome job of putting um, lots of varied uh, trees. Uh, all around the city, right. um, and even more so now with the Million uh, Trees Project, there's there are more trees than ever. Um, but for instance, in my neighborhood, um, the trees that kind of um, dominate the area, well, my old neighborhood in Greenpoint, Greenpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, were linden trees, and they're a huge source of nectar oh. for bees. So we Wonderful. always had this really incredible basswood honey that was sort of a chartreuse color and had the slight minty sort of flavor to oh my it. Gosh. It was really cool. So, you know, to people who maybe worry about other contaminants making it into their honey, um, you know, there's always a slight risk of that. Bees are usually pretty discerning. But if you're ever in doubt, you can send off samples of your honey to be tested for impurities. Okay. Just so you can have a sort of a, a clear Or maybe conscious. just to see what they were eating. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't know. Because these <coughs> kind of travel far. So Yeah, three, three to sometimes up to six miles, depending on how how much food is, is in their area. So they'll they'll travel quite a distance to, to get what they yeah. need. Yeah, a really interesting way to get a taste of your local terroir through the honey definitely even by neighborhood by neighborhood it, it mm-hmm. differs you know i have friends um in bushwick and we compared their honey to the honey from greenpoint to the honey in fort green and and um red hook and it's all different it's so cool like i mean even in a place as as you know comparatively sort of small but like you know you look at the landscape it all sort of seems the same but mm-hmm. it's not it kind of <laughs> The bees give you to an the opportunity bees, it's to so different. Yeah, it gives you an opportunity to kind of look at your neighborhood in a different way. So cool. Um, so this book, it's called the Scrappy Guide. Is mm-hmm. that sort of implying that you know the rooftops aren't exactly you know it's a sort of a makeshift uh, landscape for beekeeping, or or is it just for like a beginner's guide? Or who is this book for? I this book. There are a lot of beekeeping books out on the market, okay. and they all tend to take kind of a conventional stance towards beekeeping. Mm-hmm. And so country based. Um, you know, or, you know, some suburban. That, you know, some yeah. of the books actually, the newer books do touch on urban beekeeping, but in terms of um, management techniques, they tend to focus on more conventional methods of management. Um, whereas this book tends to um, the the approach is really bare bones, treatment free um, beekeeping. Which, just in my opinion, I feel like in, in my experience, I kind of, you know, you learn the conventional way, and then you. Like me personally, I worked my way hmm. backwards, and and the more I I worked with my bees, the more I wanted to practice a more like a less in t- intensive right. management. Um, so like fewer inputs, um, you know, less sort of manipulation, and more just uh, observing and giving the bees an opportunity to thrive um, using their um, you know their natural behavior and functions. So. Um, so the book is really simplified. It's like the mm-hmm. most stripped down, simplified beekeeping book that you'll probably ever find. Um, that sounds good to me. Because I, I kind of, 
after years of teaching classes like this at the botanical gardens and, um, you know, at my mm -hmm. farm or even in Brooklyn on my rooftop, uh, I learned that there is such a thing as too much information <laughs> to a beginner's mind and that just to, to start with a really good, simple foundation um, leaves room for people to kind of explore other options um, as they sort of grow as a beekeeper, as they um, ha gain more experience um, right. with their own bees and in the context of their own environment, because it, it, it's all a little different. I mean, your management techniques can vary based on your climate. Right. No, but that's empowering. I think that's really exciting. Um, and, and, you know, most beekeeping starts because you have a farm and you want those plants to be pollinated and uh, produce better. Uh, what if you just don't really even have a garden? Is it Does it make sense to have, you know, a... Uh, have some beehives? Sure. Um, okay. I, I think that the great thing about beehives is that, um, you know, you can put them almost anywhere and you don't need to have land in order to yeah. to embark on a hobby like this. They don't take up a lot of space. If you've got a, a structurally sound rooftop and um, a big enough hatch to climb through with a couple <laughs> of like, you know, 30 to 40 pound boxes, you've got a, a pretty good setup for um, for starting your own urban apiary. That's why I was really excited about it, because I knew that I had really limit, limited space in my backyard. Yeah. And it was a great way for me to sort of, sort of do something productive, related to nature, mm -hmm. and, um, and in a really small, limited space. But then there we have, like, the devil's advocate question, the limited mm -hmm. space and, you know, a small city. So you got your neighbors right up against you. Uh, you know, what happens if these bees swarm and um, just, I don't know, they're too close to human uh, living situation, well, living part, condition. Well, part of what I um, discuss in the book is um, selecting a site for your bees, like mm -hmm. where you would want to set them up is, is pretty critical. I mean, you don't want to um, disrupt the day-to-day -day life of your neighbors. You don't want to create a situation also where... Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's really unlikely that that okay. would happen. But, um, but you also just don't want to have your bees in a situation where you feel kind of uncomfortable going to inspect them because you've placed them in a really precarious spot that like oh. you were even made oh, uneasy because some people put them put their hives on rooftops where they have to climb you know, do dangerous. some serious climbing to get to them and and if you are frightened to inspect your bees then you will inspect them less frequently and when you when your bees get a away from you you end up with swarms and then you've got to you know collect your swarms and um, do a lot of uh, explaining and apologizing. Um, you know, swarms are pretty gentle, but they make a lot of noise and they scare people and they frighten people. Yeah. And people, most people don't know anything about swarms and the fact that they're gentle and it's just a, a natural reproduction of a, of a hardy hive. Like it's their way of propagating the species. But most people don't know that. They just see a bunch of venomous insects flying around and it scares them. And so you definitely want to be a little proactive about, um, managing, uh, and, and practicing some swarm prevention. And most of the swarm prevention I do is just splitting up my hives into uh -huh. um, smaller hives uh, proactively. Mm -hmm. huh. All right. There's so much to talk to you, but we're going to cut to a quick little commercial interlude. And we'll be right back. Today's music is Favorite Flower by Pamela Royal on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. 
Dorothy Ken Hamilton, founder and CEO of the International Culinary Center, interviews the top chefs in the world on Chef Story. Hear from chefs like Christina Tosi. I remember my first day as a real cook, like, I'm going to be the best pastry cook this restaurant's ever seen. Bobby Flay. I don't do anything on TV that I don't enjoy doing in terms of food. So whatever I'm up to in my restaurant life is what gets transferred onto TV. Jacques Pepin. I was invited to work at the White House for John Kennedy. Learn how the greats become great every Wednesday at 12 p.m. on Chef Story on heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast regional forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. All right, we're back chatting with Megan Pasca, author of The Rooftop Beekeeper. And, um, you know, just in case uh, the book isn't enough um, info for you, Meg also teaches regular classes at the New York Botanical Gardens, the I one do. in the Bronx. Mm-hmm, yeah. The one in the Bronx. Awesome. And, and at my else? farm, too. We do classes there. It's accessible by ferry from the city if you wanted to take a, a fun day trip uh, to our farm and learn about beekeeping or raising goats, making oh. soap, all kinds of stuff, gardening. Goat soap. And yeah. that's in what town in New Jersey? It's in Locust, New Jersey. Um, it's part of Middletown, New Jersey. So you could take the Sea Streak Ferry easy as pie. I think that us. that sounds like a really great spring, summer activity. So I definitely agree. check out Locust. <laughs> What's the name of the farm? Sorry. It's the Homestead at Seven Arrows. This Homestead at Seven Arrows. You can also stay there, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a B&B? Okay, cool. Um, so definitely check out more info. But for now, I mean, this book, I just love how, you know, it's very practical, very hands-on. It's good. It's great for beginners, as we were just talking about. And you also have some recipes. <laughs> yeah, that was a challenge for me. I mean, I love to cook, <laughs> uh-huh. but I'm like one of those... Uh, cooks in the kitchen that just kind of makes like, it up does things by feel uh-huh. and so it was a great learning experience to like get in the kitchen and actually um, measure things out and, and and experiment and perfect the recipes and because there's so many products um, that come from beekeeping yes. not just honey I mean honey is you know very versatile but what else have we got here? You, I mean, you obviously, you obviously have beeswax that you can use for making salves and candles and that sort of thing. You've got propolis, which is a resin that the tree uh, the, um, made from trees that the bees forage. And that's good for like cuts and bruises. Cuts, bruises. It's actually um, great to take if you uh, if you make a tincture, um, like diluting it in um, like whiskey or something like that. Uh, you can take that um, the onset of a cold or the flu, and help. It helps to, you know boost your immunity and, and kill bacteria and viruses. So nice. it's pretty amazing stuff. And then also things like pollen 
are I'm really tasty too. They look like little pieces of um, I I don't know rabbit food maybe, uh, <laughs> but in different colors. They taste like it, orange. It, it tastes yeah. like dried fruit. It like, does. It's really awesome. It's so great. I mean, you get some pollens like dill and fennel pollen, which are really popular. Uh, with chefs um, that have a very distinctive taste, but most pollen tastes really kind of like dried mango or something. It's I know really cool. because it's it's just like the cru- it's like a pebble from all these different flowers, mm-hmm. and it's it's, it's it's delicious. Yeah, it's all sort of glued together with a little bit of nectar, and it's just such a great treat. How about that for a garnish, chefs? <laughs> like locavore chefs, come on, that sounds awesome. And then we have royal jelly. Yeah, that's that. That's a little more intensive to harvest because oh. um, you have to take it from the queen, right? Yeah, you have Ooh. to kind of get into queen breeding um, because usually the larger amounts of royal jelly are found in, in queen cups when the bees are producing um, new queens. So you take a queenless colony and you put a bunch uh-huh. of you know eggs in that queenless colony, and those bees, those young bees, they just start feeding the eggs lots of royal jelly and building the combs just like frantically trying to make a queen and then you go in and you just kind of take them out and siphon off all the oh so cold (laughs) yeah so that's a little it's a little advanced i think (laughs) for most people so i did include much about royal jelly uh production in there but royal jelly we we hear about in cosmetics and how great it is for your skin Mm -hmm. all right so so what else is that about it for ingredients from Oh, and there's also the the venom. The venom. There's venom, too. People use bee venom um, as a treatment for autoimmune disorders and arthritis. And in some countries, they use it as a way to keep their skin looking young. They'll they'll basically take a bee and they'll (laughs) they'll hold it with tweezers and they'll tap the stinger on their their skin. Apparently, like, uh, the first uh, acupuncture needles were bee Bee stingers. stingers. Is this like Botox? Natural, yeah. Nature's Botox <laughs> keeps your skin nice. Oh, it and gives you those bee stung looks. <laughs> yeah, what that's, else? yeah. It's, there's a there's a whole practice of it's called um, apitherapy, and it includes mm. use, the use of honey oh, and beeswax. Yeah, all of that stuff as to, to promote healing. But bee venom's also part of it. No kidding, mm-hmm. that's so cool. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. All right, so I just forgot what I was gonna say. Oh, uh, okay. Anyway, I'm looking at the speck cherry pepper and honey pizza recipe. And, mm-hmm. you know, honey is like, you can go savory and sweet with it. Mm-hmm. You can make savory things savory sweet with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's just like something that is like becoming more and more popular. And, and certainly with honey, too, you cannot just use, you can also make meat is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And that is very exciting. It's something that, you know, it's ages old uh, alcoholic beverage. Um, that has been getting more awareness. So, have you ever made mead? I haven't made it, but I've consumed a lot of it. Mead was act- <laughs> mead. What mead was the thing that got me into beekeeping? It's so funny because I had had mead once, like some high school joker friend of of mine brought a bottle of mead from. Um, just a, like a liquor store and it was like we were kind of joking about like we had just gotten done like reading Beowulf like a year before so we like had like <laughs> goblets and we were drinking meat out of the goblets being completely ridiculous and it was horrible stuff I was like this is the the, the grossest thing I've ever consumed super sweet and just really 
not good. Oh. But then I went to, uh, I was going to homebrewers association um, meetings r- really frequently in Baltimore. And one of the guys there was a beekeeper and he brought some tulip poplar mead that he had made. And it was totally different. It was wow. complex and it wasn't saccharine. It was just really lovely. And so between that and just like being a gardener, that was they just my hooks were just in. There are a mm-hmm. lot of great meaderies around now too that produce like really fine meads. They're not very sweet. They have a nice like crisp dryness to them, and um, they're just as good as as any wine. Yeah, it's well, pretty I mean, exciting. Just, just like wine, you could have some pretty bad ones and good ones. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool to see mead expand. Definitely in a in a more um, just crazy way. Um, so what are some of the craziest uh, mishaps. I saw a section on avoiding <laughs> disasters. I mean, what should we really uh, look out for in beekeeping? Um, you know, I would say some of the worst things that have ever happened in my presence in regards to, to honeybees. Um, robbing frenzies are pretty common late in the season when um, oh, there's no. when there's not as much food out there for the bees to find. They kind of turn on each other and they go after the weaker colonies and they'll just go in and just start fighting their way in to steal food. And that can be really ugly. I mean, it doesn't usually result in any real threat to people, but it's just really sad to see. And so you really have to um, be proactive um, before like August to sort of like reduce your entrances, sort of close up any gaps, uh, make sure that all of your colonies are queen right, um, because those situations sort of open up the opportunity for opportunistic honeybees to start raiding some of your hives and and, oh, and pilfering them and so they'll, they'll completely destroy a hive that mm-hmm. way swarms you know it's really funny because around here a lot of beekeepers kind of uh, make i mean they make a big deal about swarms because i mean and i understand why but they also um are, they're not doing themselves any favors by acting like swarms are like a big horrible thing because mm-hmm. it's a natural uh, yeah i mean yeah. it's it's a really amazing thing to witness it's so <laughs> i mean it's such an incredible thing like you get the bees just sort of flying out of the hive really quickly and forming sort of like a cloud of bees outside of of the colony and they're just flying around in circles it, it, they're not concerned with people they're not in an aggressive state and then the queen is somewhere in all of that mess and she lands somewhere and then all the bees like it's incredible you just watch this glob of like bees grow before your eyes wherever the queen lands and Mm. and they're really easy i mean once as long as they're not in a place that's like very out of reach um they're they're quite easy to catch and um swarms are are really awesome because they are like tuned in to build up like they once you put them in a new home they're just like all right time to build wax time to like get to work (laughs) and so they're a really healthy like mini colony you put them in a hive and they just get to work and they do really well i think that swarms are really awesome and i wish that um there are more people out there just talking about um the benefits of swarms and educating people um that they aren't going to sting yeah now that you understand now that you know (laughs) If you understand that they're they're starting a, a new project, yeah. basically, and this is all the excitement that they're putting into it, yeah, um, it does sound much more friendly. Yeah. Um, so that's about all the time we have for today. But thank you so much for sharing a lot of your insights about this wonderful book, which you can get out now. It just came out. It's very exciting. It's now a good time to start uh, those bees uh, beehives if you're interested. So thank you again, Meg Pasca. Thank you. And we'll uh, see you next week on Eat Your Words. 
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.